Well, hey, if you missed it before, uh, maybe you came in after. My name's Scott. I'm one of our deacons here at Substance. I'm excited to bring uh, the word to you today. Um, man, a couple of things for us this morning. Firstly, if you're on a device this morning and you want to follow along more clearly, we'll be, we'll be going from the ESV translation. So if you want to change that on your device to be able to see where we're going more clearly. If you're in need of an actual Bible, like a paper one, you know, the ones with the words in it, those are still a thing. Uh, we have some of there in the back. They're back there by that creepy, warty pumpkin. I don't know what it is about those things, but they creep me out, guys. I don't know who was in charge of getting those. Well, I do know who was in charge, and we're going to talk later. Man, well, Zach and Jillian and myself and Kat and Ronnie and Melissa, this last week we spent some time uh, in Louisville at a network retreat. We're a part of a, a network of churches called Harbor Network. Maybe some of you didn't know that, but this is basically just a bunch of churches and church plants across the U.S. And so that's actually where uh, Ronnie is this morning. One of the good things about being a part of a network is that we actually get to step in the pulpits of some other churches. We get to help them out, give them a week off. Some of these churches are, are pretty small. There's, um, man, only one or two guys maybe on staff max. And so some of these guys are preaching every single Sunday. And so this just gives some, one of us an opportunity to step in there. So that's where he is this morning. So what I want to do is I, I just want to take some time and I want to pray for them. I want to pray for Ronnie. I want to pray for their congregation. But I also want to pray for us and our time in the word together this morning. So would you join me as we, as we do that? Father, you are, you are with your people this morning as we gather to open your word together now. And so I pray this for our congregation here and for Ronnie and the congregation that he is gathered with this morning. May our hearts, uh, may our hearts be encouraged again in your gospel, which we are so quick, so quick to forget and to wander from. And so stir in us again the wonder and the mystery and the joy of our salvation through the resurrection power of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, we will be in uh, John 12 today, so if you want to take your Bible and turn there with me, specifically verses 1 through 8. But before we jump into today's passage, there's a lot of context that really needs to come before, before it so that we can understand the importance of what's going on here and we can apply it rightfully to our lives and our hearts. Today's passage is John recording a celebration dinner that was taking place to honor what Christ had done in Lazarus's resurrection. And I won't go back and read the whole story, but just to summarize, Lazarus, the, the brother of Martha and Mary, who are all present in today's passage, he became very ill and he died. Now this was someone that Jesus loves as John records in chapter 11 and Jesus was deeply pained by his passing but this was in Jesus's words something that God was going to use for his glory by glorifying Christ through it. See Jesus had every intention of raising Lazarus from the dead but there was an importance on how he was going to do that timing wise. John eleven seventeen tells us that when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days already. And the same chapter tells us Lazarus had actually begun to smell. All right, this, wasn't, this wasn't just a dead man. This was a rotting corpse by this time. Four days in a tomb. Jesus waited four days to show his resurrection power a power that he wants to be certain is instilled in his followers for the coming days of his own death. 
Now it was on account of this resurrection of Lazarus that many Jews who had been seen and heard of this were now starting to actually believe Jesus was truly the son of God. He was who he said he was. And this was more than alarming to many Pharisees. And so soon after Jesus raised Lazarus, a council of Pharisees and chief priests and the high priests, they convened and it tells us they sought from that point on to arrest Jesus and have him put to death. It was not, however, Jesus' time. And so scripture tells us that from that day, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews until now. So that gets us into today's passage. So John 12, verses one through eight, you can follow along with me as I read. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. The main thing that I want to pull out of today's text, I'm not trying to hide this, there's no reveal, it's on your bulletin, you can see it there this morning, is that what we believe about the worth and the power of Christ will be shown and the type of worship that pours out of us because we worship what we hope in. So what is worship? Harold Best, I'm reading this book right now called Unceasing Worship by Harold Best. He defines worship as this. If you're taking notes, this would be helpful to write down. He says, worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen God, lowercase g, or a choosing God, uppercase G. Say that again, worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen God, lowercase g, or a choosing God, uppercase G. In our passage this morning, we see, uh, we see an outpouring of worship from multiple different people even but we see it in two very different ways. One is worship of a choosing God, capital G, one of Christ exalting worship. The other, an outpouring of worship of a chosen God, lowercase g, one of self-exaltation, self-worship. One that hopes in money while the others hope in Christ and in his life and his resurrection. Power. So we're going to look at these four examples of worship poured out. We'll look at an outpouring of servanthood, an outpouring of presence, an outpouring of treasure, and an outpouring of self-worship. An outpouring of servanthood, outpouring of presence, an outpouring of treasure, and an outpouring of self-worship. Well, look again with me, if you would, just down there at verse one. I want to go back to it. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
Now, I want us to see and understand the weight of what is happening here. They're seeking to arrest Jesus. They're after him in full force. He'll be put to death in under a week. He'll be beaten and tortured, hung on a cross, and placed in a tomb. What he has testified will take place is now in due process begun to. Therefore, what therefore is saying is that Jesus is giving himself over just as he said he would do. Turn back a chapter and look at with me, if you would, at chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says this, speaking about his life. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Therefore, is a word of God's sovereignty. All right, pick back up in verse two, chapter 12. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. I think what we can infer from today's text and the chapter before is that Jesus had not gotten to spend much time with Lazarus after he raised him from the dead. He likely, he likely departed quickly and probably was not a whole lot of time to celebrate what had just taken place. In language like they gave a dinner or Lazarus reclining with Jesus at table, which is something that people did specifically at banquets, it, it suggests more than just a regular meal. This is a party, like they are partying. This is, this is a celebration for what Christ had done in Lazarus. And what does it say? And Martha served. This is, this is what Martha is kind of known for in scripture. There's actually another account of a different dinner at a different time in Jesus' ministry that Martha serves, but with a different set of motivations, which we see in Luke 10. If you wanna, you wanna turn there with me, you can. Luke 10, just back a book, not super far. Luke 10, chapter, or sorry, verse 38, chapter 10. It says this, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In this story, Martha is distracted by the anxieties of serving. Her, her focus is not on Jesus, it's on serving. Her attitude is not one of worship. It was anx anxious and angry because she felt like she, was, like she was doing all the work. I'm sure none of you guys have ever felt like that. I'm sure you've never felt like that at your job or man, maybe even serving here. Have you ever felt like that? Man, like I'm just, I'm doing all the work. Where is everybody? Her serving her serving, though, was not the issue. It was the heart with which she was doing it. And so when Jesus says that Mary had chosen the good portion, he's not saying Martha's serving was bad, but rather that her motives for doing it were misplaced. This is what happens. This is what happens when we lose sight of the beauty 
and of the worthiness of Christ. When we make worship and servanthood more about what we are doing than the one that we are actually serving, it's then that we end up looking a lot like the Martha in Luke 10. I wanna be like the Martha in today's passage. Today's passage is the same Martha, but she serves out of a different set of motivation. She serves out of a heart that is overflowing with thankfulness for Christ and his resurrection power. Dr. R. Kent Hughes says, Mary, or sorry, Martha now knew that service to Christ could be worship when it was done with the right attitude and a heart that was set on Christ. What Martha believes about Jesus and his power and his worth is shown here in an outpouring of servanthood. And thank God for Martha's in the body of Christ. Man, I think about those of you who serve on the cafe team with Nara. Um, man, that is an outpouring of worship. Beth and Terry, as they prepared this morning, I was reminded of their faithfulness and, and how they worship. And you guys should thank them too because there is a lot of work that goes into setting up for feeding 100 plus people each week. And so I'm thankful for you guys. You guys should know that. Martha serves. The object of her affections are on Jesus here, the one who by his power and authority has resurrected her dead brother. She goes all out. And you, you can just know she loves to worship Jesus by serving because this isn't even her house, all right? The same accounts of this dinner, they're recorded in Matthew and Mark, and Matthew tells us they're at the house of Simon the leper and that all the disciples are present during this dinner, all right? So she is hosting at someone else's home and at a minimum with all the disciples there and those who John lists off in this text, there are 17 people present. Man, if you've ever cooked for 17 people, you know the amount of work that goes into something like that. And that's today with modern conveniences. I'm sure Martha most likely spent days gathering, preparing, cleaning, organizing. Martha served. This is what poured out of her as worship unto Christ. This is what she desired to give to show her love and her affection to him for his worth and for his power. The Jesus she worshiped is the Jesus that she hoped in. The next outpouring of worship we see in this text, it's a little more subtle, and so we're not gonna spend a ton of time on it, but I think it's in there for good reason, so I don't wanna skip over it, which is an outpouring of presence. An outpouring of presence. Text says, and Lazarus was reclining with him at table. Well, my wife and I, we, um, for probably the last year or so, we've been watching this series that came out. It's called The Chosen. Um, maybe some of you guys have heard of it, maybe even watched it. Um, one of my favorite things about The Chosen at the risk of offending anybody here is, man, it's just, it's normal, all right? There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of Christian media out there today that's not cringy, all right? I'm sorry, but it just is. Um, you just, you watch it and you're like, nobody talks like that. Nobody acts like that. There's no way they acted like that. But The Chosen, I think, really does well at portraying the character's humanity, specifically the humanity of Christ. And so I really love and appreciate that. So as I studied and I thought about this text, I almost had this 
episode of The Chosen, like playing in my head, like I'm writing it in my head. And I thought about Lazarus. I want you to think about Lazarus with me here. I mean, just try to imagine, right? He's, he's dead, right? His body is lying there lifeless and rotting. And all of a sudden he hears Lazarus come out. Jesus speaks and his voice brings him from death to life. And he's now sitting however many days or weeks later listening to that same voice. He's probably, I mean, he's probably hanging on to every word that Jesus speaks at that table. He's probably relishing and just being present with Jesus. Hearing the others who are there and are probably, man, telling all the stories and the miracles that they've seen Jesus perform. He might even be thinking like, yeah, guys, water into wine. That was sweet. I was dead like three weeks ago. You guys know that, right? And Peter was probably like, yeah, man, you still kind of stink. You still kind of smell. Yeah, think about that in our own lives. This type of presence with Jesus is worship to Jesus. So think about that in your life. Are we present with Jesus? Present with Jesus as worship? Do you dwell often on the resurrection that took place in your life? Because if you are in Christ, there is a resurrection that took place in your life. We read it this morning, Ephesians 2. We were dead, dead in the trespasses and the sins in which we once walked, dead men and women, not just sick, not mostly alive, good people, dead, a rotting and a decaying corpse. And Paul tells us that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. Christ is with you, church. Are you being present with him? Hanging on to his every word. You have them in this book. The very Jesus that's present with them here in this text, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us is equally present here and now as the written word to us and by his spirit in us. Dane Ortland, who is the writer of the book Gentle and Lowly that we're going through in our CGs, he wrote an article a couple weeks ago called Nine Wrong Ways to Read the Bible and One Better One. And as I read it, I realized how I've fallen countless times into those nine wrong categories. But he said this line towards the end of the article that hit me. He said, to read scripture is to read Christ. To read it is to hear his voice. Are we going to this book to hear his voice, to be present with Christ, to worship not just by obediently reading, and we do that, but also joyfully listening. Lazarus pours out his worship onto Jesus by being present with Jesus. The Jesus he worshiped was the Jesus he hopes in. Let's look back at verse three, chapter 11. As we look at these last two outpourings of worship, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Well, the reason that I spent so much time pulling out those first two verses is because of verse three, Mary therefore. There's that word again we saw at the beginning. I think what John is saying is that Mary saw the ways that Martha and Lazarus' worship was poured out onto Jesus and she too wanted Jesus to know just how much she loved and valued and hoped in him. 
There's another story about the account of a different dinner. And I know what you're thinking, man, all people do in scripture is eat. And it's true. That's why we eat so much here at Substance. We just want to be scriptural. But the story was at an earlier time in Jesus's ministry when it tells us that a woman of the city who was a sinner had found where Jesus was. She came to the house where they were eating and she brought with her an alabaster flask of ointment, likely the same kind Mary uses in our text today. And in the presence of Jesus, as she recognizes her sin, she begins to weep and she washed his feet with her hair and her tears cleansed his feet. She wiped her hair on his feet and then she took the the ointment and she anointed Jesus' feet. And I imagine that this was a story that Mary knew and that it was playing in her head as she thought about the way that she could show her love for Jesus. So she takes this ointment and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus and then she takes her hair and she wipes his feet with it. And it says the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary pours out worship onto Jesus by literally pouring onto him the most valuable thing that she owns, an outpouring of treasure. And the fragrance fills the room, it's on her hair. It's going with her as she goes about the house serving as a fragrant offering. Not only that, but I think also as a fragrance of remembrance. And my wife and I, we, uh, we bought my grandparents' house a couple years ago. Um, and I have a lot of good memories there when I was a kid. And my grandpa passed away when I was 13. But there are still times when I'm like walking through the house or out in the garage where I'll smell something and it reminds me of him. Do you guys ever experience that? Certain smells, they can just kind of transport your mind to a memory of someone you love. And this perfume, this ointment in this text, it's a fragrance they're going to smell again. Because though it was costly, it was not necessarily uncommon. The ointment had a few uses. One was to be used by servants, specifically in uh, Roman households, more wealthy households. As people would come in, servants would take a few drops, they would drop into a bowl of water and they would clean their feet with it so that their feet weren't just clean, but there was a fragrant smell, there was a, a nice smell. So that was one of its uses. Another was for the purpose of anointing Passover lambs, which many were doing this week leading up to the Passover. As they prepared to place the blood of their chosen lamb over their doorposts, they would bring the animal into their house for a few days prior to inspect it and to make sure it was free of blemish. And they would take this oil and they would anoint their ankles and their head with it. Do you see the imagery? Mary and the disciples don't likely know at this point that this is what she is doing to Jesus, but he does. And in six days, they will too. And this fragrance is going to be all about the city. Mary pours out her worship on the feet of Jesus and she spares no expense to do so. And the text tells us one of the disciples does not like that. Verse four, if you wanna look back with me, it says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself at what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Well, denarii, 
Denari was a full day's wage, and most commentators would say that this puts the value of this jar anywhere from fifteen to twenty thousand right, dollars. That's a that's a lot of money. And so Judas speaks up and he asks why it wasn't sold and distributed to the poor. And at first glance, we may even side with Judas. We may even think, yeah, I, like why wouldn't you sell it and give it to the poor? I mean, that is a noble thing. But John quickly puts a stop to allowing our minds to go there. He tells us why Judas wants to sell it, which is because he was left in charge of the money bag and he was stealing from it. Jesus knew this, and so he says, leave her alone, Judas, and let her keep it for the day of my burial. Let her keep it. I don't think Jesus is actually talking about the perfume here. I don't think that for a couple of reasons. One, the the other gospel accounts say Mary anointed Jesus' head as well as his feet. Another says that the flask was broken. But even without those accounts, just within the confines of this text, Judas asking why it wasn't sold and distributed to the poor suggests there was nothing left. I think she dumped this whole thing out on Jesus. I think what Jesus is saying in let her keep it is let her keep this memory, this hope, this beautiful act of worship that she has just done. Don't ruin it, Judas. She's preparing me for my burial. She is worshiping me because she loves me, because she hopes in me, in my resurrection power. And in six days, I want her worship to be a fragrance of that hope. So leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Then Jesus says this line, man, it might strike you as a little weird, so I want to explain it. He says, for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus here, he's pointing back to a passage that they all would have known in Deuteronomy 15, which says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. In no way is Jesus not saying to serve the poor. What he is saying to Judas is that if you really want to help the poor, Judas, do it. Do it. You'll you'll still have them in six days, but you won't have me. Not here, not physically with you anymore, but, but you don't love me anyway, Judas. You love yourself. You worship yourself. You worship your money. You put your hope in it. Judas doesn't care about the poor. He, he cares about money. Mary's beautiful act of worship here is contrasted with Judas's self-worship, which makes Jesus only valuable as a commodity to be sold, which is what he will do in five days' time. Mary pours out $20,000 onto the feet of Jesus because she loves him. She hopes in him. And then Judas, man, in five days, he's going to sell Jesus for 800 bucks because he loves himself. He loves his treasure more than he treasures Jesus. He has no hope in Christ. It's why Jesus welcomes the worship of his people onto himself because worship of anything outside of Christ is a roadblock to hope in Christ. And we are master roadblock builders. I wanna be careful and clear here because I don't want you to hear me saying this from a point of condemnation, but one of pleading, warning. (laughs) 
We all struggle with self-worship in some way, shape, or form. It's one of the fights of the Christian life. But I do want you to think about and be aware of the things that you maybe find yourself falling into worshiping and hoping in for the very sake of real hope so that you can confess and repent of those false hopes, those acts of self-worship that actually leave us feeling so hopeless so that our worship and our hope can be repositioned back onto Christ. I want you to see in this text that worship and hope go hand in hand. What we worship is what we hope in, and what we hope in is what we will worship. I want this to be a call to remembrance of Christ's resurrection power in your life and your rest to be renewed. So where does your hope lie this morning, church? What are you worshiping? Is your hope centered on Christ? Is your worship poured out on Christ or on something else? This may be really uncomfortable, but like Judas in the story, for many of us, it likely is money or rooted in money. It's not something that's uncommon. There's a reason scripture has so much to say about money. Over 800 times, scripture mentions it. It's something we all have to have. We have to use money, make money, handle money. There's there's no way around it. And so we should be very careful of the importance we place on it, of the value and worth that we put on it so that it doesn't command our hope. Because if it's commanding your hope, It's also demanding your worship, which is a place that is reserved for Christ, not because he's some tyrannical being, but because he's a loving savior who actually wants our hope to rest on something that's worthy, something that has actual power in your life, something that can actually save you, which is him. And so that's the invitation this morning. Come worship this Savior. Come serve this Jesus who first came in the form of a servant to serve you. Be present with this Jesus who has promised to be present with you always to the end of the age. Pour out your treasure at the feet of this Jesus who poured out his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and the assurance of eternal life with him. He is a hope that you have experienced like no other a hope that you actually long for, a hope that for those who are here in Christ, a hope you have presently available to you. I pray that we would remember and rest in that hope this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, remind our hearts uh, again of the same thing we started our time together with this morning. You are a great God and a great king above all other gods. Forgive us for the worship and the hope that we've placed on those other gods. Remind us again of the hope that we have in Christ, the only one worthy of our worship, the only one who can sustain our hope. Remind us of both the resurrection that took place in him 
and that by his power, the resurrection that has taken place in us, you have brought us from death to life. You have made us alive together with Christ. And we stand here this morning with that hope and assurance of your grace and wondrous mercy. Help us to rest more fully in those truths, not just to find them more true, but more beautiful that our hearts would be stirred in worship and in hope, that we would build our lives upon your love and our trust would rest on you alone. Do this by the power of Christ in us, we pray. All God's people said, amen.